Sales can be incredibly frustrating. I know sometimes it can seem like you are just dealing with a bunch of leads that are just out there collecting bids. They never know quite what they want. They're never quite ready to go. They have unrealistic budgets. They have champagne taste in a beer budget, so to say. And then that's further compounded by the fact that there's almost like a feast or famine kind of momentum to sales. You'll have one killer week of sales where you just get sales on sales on sales. You can't stop selling. And then the following few weeks, things kind of dwindle and die down. Incredibly frustrating. But at the same time, sales are the lifeblood of your business. You need to be selling. You need to be bringing revenue in. That's almost a tongue twister. You need to be bringing revenue and sales in. Everything is easier when you are selling. So I wanted to jump into this here and cover eight practical tips to take your sales game up a notch. No Jedi mind tricks, none of that BS. Simple, practical, and effective stuff that you can literally go out there and implement as soon as you get done listening to this. So here we go, bottom to top. Let's jump into it. Number eight, stay persistent and follow up. Stay persistent and follow up. I'm sure you've heard the saying, squeaky wheel gets the grease. And that holds true in sales. If you are consistently following up and consistently in front of your prospect at this point, mind you, the process generally goes lead. And then after you qualify the lead prospect, if you're consistently in front of them and consistently engaging them, you will get some sales. You'll get people that come through just on that alone. I've had customers request an estimate and they kind of dip, dodge, duck and dive us. And finally, two months later after follow-ups, they come back around and it's just because we were right there. They just happened to be thinking about it that day and we sent them an email and they're like, you know what? Today's the day. I'm ready to put this behind me. It's been lingering on my mind for the last two months. My wife has been bothering me to get these floors replaced. In my case, maybe my husband has been bothering us to get this covered aluminum roof put over our patio so that he can have a grilling spot. And now you're here and all I got to do is tell you to go. We're going to get this thing done today. And that comes from follow-ups. The more noise you make and the more connection you make with people in the sales process, the more sales you ultimately will make. It will be frustrating because you don't get a sale out of every follow-up, right? For everybody that you follow up with, you might only sell one out of 10 and that's good, but it really doesn't cost you anything and it doesn't take up much of your time to follow up. You just have to remember to do it and you can systematize it, chunk off a section of your Thursday morning. Thursday morning, I know for me, it's generally a slower period of my day, generally or slower period of the week. Generally all day Thursdays are slow in my business and I hear that's the same across other trades business. Block off a chunk of time, do the follow-up, stay persistent and keep following up. Next up, make a genuine connection. I'm not a big fan of word tracks and all kinds of get people to like me tricks. Just make a genuine connection. Find a mutual interest between you and the prospect. At least be courteous, be friendly, be engaged in whatever they're telling you. Seem interested and make a genuine connection. You want that person to say, wow, I like you. Now, uh, getting them to like you is a whole nother variable than actually closing the deal, which we're going to talk about at number one. Number one is incredibly powerful because I've had salespeople that work for me and you'll send them off to go do an estimate. I'd send them off to go do an estimate and they'd come back and I'd be like, how'd it go? And 
they'd be like, oh, it went great. And, you know, Mr. John Doe is an awesome guy. And I'm like, great. So awesome that you had a deposit. Nope, no deposit. But I think he'll go with us in the future. So, yes, you want to make people like you. But stay tuned for number one. We're going to talk about the thing that comes after that. But make the genuine connection. You want people to like you when you're out there selling and feel comfortable with you. You don't want to offend anybody. Uh, I know sometimes when you get out to a job site or you get out to a project or home to do the estimate and it's not quite what you expect or the customer busts out a whole bid, a whole stack of eight bids on you, it can be difficult to maintain your composure and not get pissed off and not want to say, why did you even bother calling me out here? But do that. Be nice. Make a genuine connection. Number six, believe in what you are selling. You have to believe in what you're selling. You have to be able to come out in front of the customer and say, yes, what I've got is the best out here. We offer the best level of service. Anybody else that you're going to hire is not going to be able to deliver what we can do. And this ties back in with my last podcast episode. If you want to be a premium service provider, you want to sell at premium service prices, you have to be a premium service provider. And if you are a premium service provider, you can certainly believe in what you're selling. And if you don't believe in what you're selling, well, you need to go back and look at your process and figure out what the issue is there in your process and your operations that you need to correct. All right. So believe in what you're selling. If there are some services that you do not believe in, well, in that case, like I said, go back, reevaluate those specific services, and you might want to adapt your qualifying process to accommodate the services that you really believe in selling. So if there's something you really don't believe in selling, you might want to disqualify out more of those bids while focus on going to show face to more of the bids or inquiries that you get for products that you really believe in or services that you really believe in. Believe in what you're selling, focus on what you really believe in, look to improve what you don't believe in. Number five, leverage your company story. Why are you guys in business? What do you do? What is your end goal? What do you wanna do for your customers and how can you make an improvement in their life? And why do you get up every day and run this company? What was it like in the very beginning? Share this story with your customer. Story is incredibly powerful and it can make an incredibly strong connection. And employees can do this too. This doesn't just imply or this just doesn't apply to you as the owner. Your employees can get out there and do this too. They can talk about how long they've been with the company, what inspired them to come work for you or why they left their other job to come work for you and why they like working for you, what they like about working for your company. I've got a woman on my sales team who one of the first things she says when she picks up the phone is just how much she loves working here. And granted, I'm sure and I really hope that she's genuine and that she loves working for me, but she does that to make a strong impression with the customers. She says, oh yes, I just love working at this company. I've worked at other home service companies before and I hated it. They were so unorganized. They didn't know what was going on. The customers are mad all the time, but here all my customers are happy. I just love working for GCA. And that makes a huge dent. It seems genuine and authentic, and it is genuinely uh, stated and authentic. Just she puts it at the very front, the very forefront of her interaction with the customers, telling her company story or her story with our company. Going on, number four, leverage content in your sales process. When it comes time to follow up, don't just call them and follow up and say, hey, I was wondering if you made any decision on your project yet. No. No. Nobody really wants to get that call. And when you make that call or send that email, 
particularly when you make that call, because if you send the email, it's just deleted. But when they make the call or you make that call, the person on the other end of the phone just wants to hang up with you. They were looking for the quickest opportunity to get off the phone when you call them and say, hey, hey, Mr. John Doe, I was wondering if you've made any decision yet on your project. He's going to be like, nope, nope, uh, still thinking about it. Click and get off as quick as he can. Don't do that. Use content to follow up. Send Mr. John Doe an email with a link to a write-up or a blog post about a similar project that you did. And if you go to my company website, you'll notice that on our blog, we are publishing quite a few projects on there. I want to say four or five a week. That's not all the projects we do, but that is uh, a few of them. So we're publishing four or five projects a week as blog posts on there. Now we've got all that content. We can send that to our clients, say, hey, I just wanted to share this with you. It's similar to the project you're considering. Let me know if you have any questions. We'll fire that off and then follow up with a phone call in 45 minutes or an hour and say, hey, Mr. John Doe, just wondering if you got that email I sent you. That opens a line of communication that is not immediately pegged to a sale. And once you open that line of communication about this other project that you just completed, then you can segue that back to the actual sales. So leverage content in your sales process. There's seven key pieces of influential content that I cover in the market domination method, which I suggest having on your website. And you can use that to distribute to your prospects before you even show up out there to do an estimate or after they call in and maybe you disqualify them, but they might come back around in the future after they get sick and tired of dealing with monkey business operations. That's what I call the little lowballer operations, kind of informal operations. I call them monkey business operations. But send them some of your content at that point. Position yourself. Maybe when they get more serious or they're sick of dealing with the monkey businesses, they will come back around. So leverage your content in the sales process. Number three, always reply quick, always schedule quick, but be the last bidder. It probably doesn't make any sense. Look, when it comes to selling home services, there's an age old adage of last bidder gets the job. And that basically means that the homeowner knows they need to collect three bids or they feel like they need to collect five bids or whatever the number is, the last person to show up for it gets the job. So what do contractors naturally do? Well, we schedule it out. We'll say, oh, I can't get there for three weeks. All right, so now they're waiting on you for three weeks and hopefully you are the last person out there to actually give them a bid and they're so frustrated, they've been waiting. The problem is really agitating them inside. They're sick of waiting on contractors. They wanna get the solution. They wanna get their problem fixed. So they're just gonna go with whoever gets there essentially last. Keep them waiting. Let them get frustrated with everybody else and be the last bidder. I don't subscribe to that theory. I like to get things done quick and on point. And if you've ever seen anything that I publish or heard me speak before or worked with me in any way, you know that I like to get things done now. My saying, no time like the present. If I have to think about it, it takes me just as long to think about it and plan for it as it does to do it now. So I apply that to my sales process as well. Always reply quick, get your estimates done quick. If somebody wants an estimate, we get them the estimate as quick as possible, providing they meet our qualifying specifications. We get them that estimate quick. Now, when we're out there and we go to sell the project, we're meeting with them face-to-face -face in front of them, or even if they're on the phone, We've got our opportunity to close and they essentially deny us at that point. They say, no, I'm waiting on a couple other bids. We say, no problem. I understand. Just empathize with them. Show them that you understand where they're coming from in their, in their need or in the feeling that they need to get multiple bids. 
and then open yourself up to come back out and have another discussion with them. So for example, you're out there with Mr. John and he says, well, you know, your number looks great and all that, but I really need to get some other bids on this. You're the first person that's came out and given me an estimate. Uh, I've got two other contractors lined up. So I am not going to go ahead with this project today. We're going to wait a little bit and hold off on it. At that point, I don't like to get into any pushy hard sell tactics, but I will say, look, I totally understand your position. I'd want to get some other prices too. How about this? If you speak to any of them and any of the information that they give you conflicts with what I told you and you'd like to get some extra clarity or you'd like me to come back out and go over this with you, I'd be more than happy to. All right, so that opens you up to getting them to call you to come back out. Now, you don't actually have to come back out, but they will often make that phone call and say, hey, look, I got some other bids. This guy said this and that, and his other price was low. And then that kind of opens up the way for you to come in and say, all right, yes, I will come back out and go over things with you or no, you know, what you got there, I can't compete with. But the idea is that when you leave that initial sales call, you've opened the door, you've invited them and made them feel comfortable to call you back out at the end. You want them to call you back out at the end. This gives you the opportunity to essentially re-qualify or assess where they're at in the sales process. And often by doing that, they will delay and avoid signing up with anybody because they know that after they've heard from anybody, they can call you back for a further opinion. Incredibly powerful way to be the last bidder. So I like to show up if I'm the first bidder, so be it. But again, leave that door open and let the prospect know that I'm open to coming back out and reviewing the bids with them, going over everything with them, discussing everything with them. And oftentimes, if you do come back out, well, you're going to get the sale in that way because you truly are the last bidder out there and they're frustrated and sick of the whole process and ready to get things moving. Moving along now to number two, qualify leads by service requested according to demand and ability to sell. That was a mouthful there, so let's backtrack here and explain number two. When it comes to qualifying, most contractors look for an entire company-wide solution to qualifying their leads. In other words, they'll say, you know, when a lead calls in, we ask them this and this and this, and either they're qualified or they're not qualified. It doesn't matter which service they're requesting. What I do is a little different in that we qualify all of our leads differently based on the service requested. If it's a service requested for something that we can do extremely efficiently, all my sales team genuinely believes in, and the market demand is extremely high and the supply of other service providers is low, we've got a great shot at selling this. So for those types of services, we'll probably go right out and see the customers and show face with minimal actual qualification. We've got a sales team that genuinely believes in it. We've got all of our sales content geared towards it. We know that we kind of have a little bit of a cornered market on that niche service. So we go right out and close the deals with minimal qualifying. Now for other services, and I'll talk about this in my trade, we restrict it. So in other words, in my company, the qualification process is different for each of the major service groups that we offer. For example, screen enclosure extensions. That's something that we get a ton of estimate requests for, but the general consumer in the market has a very distorted, I guess, no other way of saying it, very distorted, unrealistic expectation of price. So we get all these estimate requests for screen enclosure extensions. 
And to the customer, when they call in for this, they're thinking that it's going to be a three to $5,000 project. That's just what they see. They want to extend their screen enclosure. They, they usually use this term, bump it out. I just want to bump it out another three to five feet. And in their mind, they are seeing that as a three to $5,000 project. When in reality, we've got to pour another 300 square foot of concrete. If you've ever done concrete, you know it really doesn't matter whether you're pouring 300 square foot or 1,000 square foot. The fixed cost is about the same. We still have to get the same permit. We still have to get the same engineering. The enclosure might not even be able to be extended without basically tearing the whole thing down and rebuilding it. So the cost that's going into a screen enclosure extension is minimum $12,000. Minimum $12,000 is the price, but the majority of consumers out there are seeing it as a three dollars to $5,000 project when they first call in. So for those people, we are going to give them some ballpark pricing. We'll get their address. We'll pull this thing up online, take an aerial look at the area and say, okay, you want to go out another five foot here. It's 40 foot wide. Typically projects like this go for fifteen dollars to $20,000 and then see what we say and then run them through some more rigorous qualifying at that before we actually go out and see them or sharpen the pencil on this estimate. Again, big thing to take away here is that the qualification process you use can vary and should vary by service according to the demand in your area, whether there's a very high demand for it or very low demand, customer expectations, as is my case with the price, and your ability to sell. If it's a service that is in really high demand, there's very few service providers providing a solution or supplying the market with their services and your ability to sell it. And if your ability to sell it is not good, you should if you're in that scenario with the high demand, low supply on service provider service. You should gear your ability to sell it upwards and then just go out there and see all these leads that come in for that particular service. So big takeaway, qualify your prospects by service requested according to demand and your ability to sell. Number one, moving on to the big kahuna, ask for the sale. Let's jump back to number seven, make a genuine connection. I said that I've had salespeople that would go out and speak to my leads, my prospects, and come back with no deposit checks. They'd come, out, come back and I'd say, hey, how'd that meeting go? How'd that sales appointment go? And they'd be like, oh, it went great. Mr. John Doe's a nice guy. And I was like, yeah, I can tell you were there for two hours. Oh yeah, yeah, he was a real cool guy and he really liked me. He liked the company, yada, yada, yada. Okay, well, do you have a check? Nah, he, didn't, he wasn't ready to go ahead with it yet. And I, I know you're not gonna close every project, 20 to 30% closing as a aggregate of all of your leads is incredibly good on that first initial sales appointment. But some of my salespeople were lacking well below that benchmark, very low. They'd go out and see dozens of people and close no one, but they had all kinds of awesome stories to tell about how great these clients were and how much they liked us and loved us. And they were certain they were gonna go with us in the future. So I started reviewing what the salespeople are running into this problem did. And there was one salesperson I had that stands out in my mind particularly, a young guy, not much younger than myself. I'm still, well, at this point, I am almost 30. But uh, back at this time, I was maybe 25 and he was like 20. And he had been a service tech for us for about a year, real sharp kid, real sharp young guy. And we pulled him in to do some sales in the office. And that was just the story of his sales career. 
He would talk to these customers and all the customers loved him. And because he had done service, he was extremely knowledgeable on all the products and services that we offer, all the materials. There wasn't a question you could throw at him that he could not answer. And he was professional. Everybody loved him. He was great, but his sales numbers were abysmal. So I started really analyzing him and reviewing him and listening to the recorded calls that we'd get and shadowing him in the field, letting him take the lead on some sales calls and I'd still be there to kind of back him up. And there was one thing that I realized and that was he was not asking for the sale. He would just go out there, hand the customers an estimate, keep talking to them and eventually sooner or later after an hour, the conversation would fizzle out and everyone was kind of like, oh yeah, well, thanks for coming out today. Yeah, nice to meet you, yada, yada, yada and walk away. You have to ask for the sale. I heard a great analogy from somebody else in the service business. They said, could you imagine what it would be like if you went to a restaurant, sat down, and the server never asked you what you would like to eat or what you would like to order? Think about that. How awkward would that be if the server never said, all right, well, what will you be having for dinner tonight or what would you like to order? If they never asked for the sale, it would be incredibly awkward. And there'd probably be some people that would just never freaking order. And you'd be sitting there wondering what the next step is. You have to ask for the sale just as the server does. And you don't have to be pushy about it. My favorite go-to line for asking for the sale is simply, should we get this written up? That's it. At a very basic level, after you drop the price, whether that's in front of them in their home in a sales appointment or over the phone, Wait for that awkward moment of silence where nobody really knows what to say until you take control of the process and then simply say, should we get this written up? That's all you got to do. Ask for the sale. I've seen this time and time again with multiple salespeople. It will take anybody that is confident and knowledgeable about the product and professional and friendly and courteous, all those other basics, and take them from horrible salesperson to a top performer. I wouldn't call them a rock star, but they will be a top performing salesperson. So those are my eight practical tips to take your sales game up a notch. Go out there, implement this stuff right now. You can literally start doing this stuff right now. Don't waste any time. Put all this stuff into practice. I wanna hear how this is impacting your business. So when I drop this podcast, Go to our Facebook group, the Home Pro Marketing and Sales Lounge. Look for the post on this podcast in the group. Join the group if you're not already a member and let me know your feedback. Let me know how much you think this is going to add to your bottom line following these simple eight practical tips for taking your sales game up a notch. Look forward to hearing your feedback, guys. See you in the Home Pro Marketing and Sales Lounge. You've reached the end of another episode of the Home Pro Success Podcast. Connect with us and join our collaborative Facebook group at homeprosuccess.com.